Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. Today's episode is on slow pleasure and aliveness with Euphemia Russell. I came across Euphemia's work on Instagram. I like shifted my Instagram feed to the following instead of the algorithm one. And their post was one of the first ones that popped up. And I was like, oh my God, the things that you find when Instagram isn't like trying to curate everything you've ever clicked on to be like, you want this, right? So I guess I had followed Euphemia a while back, um, and their book looked amazing, and I wanted to reach out to have this conversation with them. So Euphemia uses they-them pronouns, they're a somatic and pleasure coach, facilitator, and author. They offer somatic and embodiment practices to resource their clients' pleasure practices and habits through deep and disarmingly darky ways. We love that. Meanwhile, they are always imperfectly in process with their own pleasure, embodiment, and collective liberation practices. In this episode, we talk about moving towards more aliveness. Of course, one of my favorite topics. The deep why behind somatics with a pleasure focus for euphemia. Ancestors and pleasure. Cultivating other choices and ways of being besides the fast default. Slow pleasure, of course, exploring your pleasure dial, spirituality and mundanity, connecting down to draw up, connecting with the body and pleasure, even when there's trauma and chronic pain, cultivating pleasure and embodiment practices to support us in moments when we feel less resourced and have less capacity, savoring practices, and what the book writing process taught them about creativity, the body, and pleasure. Before we get into our conversation, I would like to announce officially, finally, after a slight delay, Moonsign is available everywhere that it's available. <laughs> this is the this is the open everywhere launch for Moonsign. Um, you can get the book on Barnes and Noble, a couple of other places. You can get it on Amazon, of course. Last resort. Um, and you can get it through my website. I have just a couple of copies, so really limited there. So I think Barnes & Noble is probably your best bet, but the book is here. It's out. It's a poetry collection that tells a story of death and rebirth, its feelings, its gay, its history and memory and trauma and also love and joy and pleasure, and I hope you'll get a copy if you haven't already. I'll put the link to check it out in the description and please enjoy this conversation. So I always like to start the show by hearing about your journey. Um, I'd love to hear anything you feel like sharing about your journey with healing, with pleasure, with your body, um, and how it's brought you to this moment and the work that you do. Hmm. Hmm. It's interesting actually because I often don't share my own experience in my work. Um, and part of that is privacy, because I love having my own world 
that it feels it feels so important to cherish separately from my work. Um, and I also often don't share my direct experiences because I'm my work is about encouraging others to remember and to feel and to trust their own experiences and holding space for that. But when I wrote my book, Slow Pleasure, they asked me to do an author's note. And it was the first time I've more publicly shared my experiences and what mm. brought me to the work that I do now and why and how. And so I won't repeat all of that because that can be read anytime. But what I'm moved to share today is that I started this work more focused on sexual pleasure as what I see as a doorway into an, another way of being. And I think that when you have a relationship with sex, you have a relationship with pleasure. When you have a relationship with pleasure, you have a relationship with body. And when you have a relationship with body, you have a relationship with so much more embodiment in general and somatics. And I very much went through that same pathway myself where I started focusing more on sexual pleasure and then that broadened to all types of pleasure and pleasure in our everyday life. And then that broadened to somatics, which the way I describe it and the way that I've been trained in somatics is being aware of our whole self. So people often think it's body focused, but that's often because it's the part that we overlook. It's our thoughts, feelings, sensations, our relationship with the world around us and land and spirit um, and whatever elements are a part of you. And moving, I that really influenced my work to, to see a more holistic connection. Um, and what I, uh, the place I've come to in myself and in my work is that the deep why of why I do this work for others is to hold space for them, as I mentioned before, to remember and to trust and to listen and to be able to move towards more aliveness and nourishing connection. And they're the deep, that's the process and then the deep why of why somatics with a pleasure focus is where I'm at in my journey at the moment with my work. And it feels so rich and so full of possibility. It's, it's a really exciting place to be. Yeah. That sounds like a really exciting place to be. <laughs> I think it's so cool to hear you name this transition of this focus on like sexual pleasure, which I think for me has been similar as well. Like I had to understand pleasure in a sexual context to understand pleasure in a wider context or like that mm -hmm. it could be sexual. It could be not sexual. It can be sensual. It can be all of these things, but I had to like understand it through sex first. So mm -hmm. it's cool to hear you name that. Mm. Yeah. What I know of you and your work, it sounds like we have similar approaches focused on justice and embodiment and holding space for transformation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's something here where like our 
relationships with pleasure aren't disconnected from they're not disconnected from systems of oppression they're not disconnected mm-hmm. from justice and and mm-hmm. that feels important to talk about too like I directly connect that stuff to like homophobia to patriarchy to like religion as an oppressive system in the world dogmatic religion um there's like so much in the world and capitalism there's like so much in the world that is like blocks us from connecting with pleasure totally yeah I feel like often think people think that struggles are taboo or taboos like pleasure or money or politics or justice or identity that are like they're like a personal responsibility or a personal affliction but really their systems and structures that it's like oh no we inherited this mm-hmm. and we internalized it and how can we listen and trust and build our hope for what can be and like feed our imaginations and see more choices in the ways that we can be outside these systems of oppression, which is such a fruitful and exciting place to be, in my opinion. Yeah, when you say inherited, that makes me want to ask you if you do any work around like ancestors and lineage and pleasure in somatics. Mm, I do my own exploration of that. I don't include that in my work with others. Um, I have an upcoming course that I'm just so excited to birth. And that is around, that is including a lot more animism, which is Mm -hmm. for, for those who don't know that word is basically seeing all living things as living beings and that have personhood and many cultures hold that belief already but it's something that I think people have been separated from that belief and so I see that work as similar to lineage and ancestors and connection and inheriting a world and a way of being and reconnecting but no I don't specifically do ancestor work that's something that I think as a white person coming more into that just for my own healing and the inter- and integrity in my work to be able to hold space for people of different lineages of different cultures of different identities that feels imperative to be doing that kind of exploration of my own but I don't feel as though I hold the spaces or the intersections of my identity to be providing that to others at this time anyway yeah do you personally I do yeah and I think doing ancestor work and connection is an important part of my spiritual practice um and I think also when I think of it in terms of um in terms of pleasure, it feels much more, that work feels much more related to queerness. And I feel like something that was really helpful for me around like my own coming out and like decision to like embody my queerness and to 
live in like an authentic and queer way in this lifetime was a connection to ancestors and feeling like literally no one else in my family has been able to do this. Like Mm. no one else in my family has Mm. had this opportunity. And this is, this is for me definitely, but it is, it's also for them. And it felt really important through that connection. Um, to be able to do that for all of us. And that just alone felt deeply healing. Mm. Um, So yeah, I think it's important for a lot of reasons. And yeah, I think that connection to like queerness feels present right now. Mm. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Honoring the privileges and possibilities that you have and dedicating them to all who didn't. Yeah. I definitely relate to that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if we can get into the idea of slow pleasure, the name of your book. And I think I'm curious just to start by hearing what that means to you. Um, what, yeah, what slow pleasure is to you? Hmm. Well, I love talking about this. (laughs) (laughs) and practicing it and holding space fathers to practice it and slow pleasure I suppose giving a more structural as we spoke about structures um, and systems I talk about the idea that we live in what I call a crisis of pace and disconnection And that that's collective and structural challenge. And there are so many reasons that we are where we are now and our relationship to pace and the ways that we live in our day-to-day life. And I believe that that disconnects us from ourselves, from others, from the land, from our pleasure and slow pleasure, which I suppose is a philosophy that I have developed through work previous to the book, but also have woven in to try and even explain what it what it is and the practices that support it, I see as being able to notice that our default is fast mm. and that no option is better than the other. It's just knowing what is the most aligned for you in that moment. But in a world and a society and a culture that only defaults to fast, we need to tend more to realizing we have other choices and ways of being. And I believe that slow pleasure is one of those ways that we need to cultivate and practice because we have to carve out time and space to do it. And that in the day-to-day life around pleasure and embodiment and connection is the simple practice, the simple to, simple to say and hard to do, of pausing and listening to your thoughts, your feelings, your sensations, trusting what you hear and developing a relationship with those things And then exploring what I call in the book your pleasure dial. So exploring your choices for pleasure in each moment and realizing that often in the 
ferocity and the pace, the fast pace of society, we believe we have less options and choices than we do. And so pausing, we can be like, oh my gosh, I have so many more choices. And then inviting more pleasure into that moment, whatever moment it is or action or process. And to be able to savor that as well, because we often can be experiencing pleasure, but maybe we're disconnected from the whole experience of it because we are perhaps stuck in our thoughts or have our attention with someone else or something else. And so the book builds up the practices through the whole book is peppered with reflection questions and pleasure practices as you go. So it can really be in small doses Mm -hmm. to integrate and yet it builds up to the idea of how to savor. And I think that if I had to explain slow pleasure in essence, it's how to pause to be able to savor and to feel more alive. That feels so resonant for how I relate to pleasure and also just life. I think I used to think that I definitely used to think that there were all these things I needed to do or add to to heal, to experience life, to feel alive, all that stuff. And I think more and more, I actually just think it's about slowing down and pulling things away and feeling back like Mm. distraction and like things like that to actually just be able to be present. And then from that place, like there really is so much pleasure available. And I mean, so much pain available too, when we like pause and notice, like it's not, I think to me, it's not always like, oh, what's here feels so good. Sometimes what's here doesn't feel great. Um, But that's also how we access the things that make us feel the way we want to feel. And that Mm. slowing down is so powerful. Mm. That's so beautifully said. Yeah. Yeah, I I relate to that deeply. I feel like in a a culture of accumulation and extraction that we often think that it's about learning and building and buying and accumulating these ideas or feelings or objects to add to our pleasure. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, as you said, how can you like prune back what is already there in the essence underneath it all that is always available to us if we pause and listen? Yeah, I think it's so much just paying attention for me. It's mm-hmm. like just actually listening to like the birds when I'm taking a walk or going out on my fire escape or just like actually tasting what my food tastes like or like actually enjoying the experience of like my partner's hand in my hand you know like those things can be so easy to just be like and like not really even like (laughs) notice and that's okay but also I want to spend time noticing those things because I think they're beautiful and they're deeply pleasurable and make me feel alive on this planet in this like human body (laughs) Mm -hmm. Hmm. yeah yeah it's pretty fucking incredible to be alive and live in a body and be on this Mm -hmm. planet even with the intensity of existence 
it's a fucking miracle, a beautiful miracle. It really is. I had this dream one time where in the dream I was dying and in the dream I knew that like I wasn't going to disappear and like my soul or spirit or whatever was going to like go have a different experience but in the dream I was devastated and I said I'm not going to have a body anymore and that Mm. I was like specifically devastated about not having a body anymore to like experience Mm. life through my body and I woke up and I was like yeah. Yeah. I feel so grateful Mm. for this body, even though often it's deeply uncomfortable, but it is also so alive. And I'm really grateful for that. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, (laughs) that's a big dream. I Mm. love my dream world. It really, it really, it's in there. <laughs> it really gives me what I need. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I I um I believe that my spirituality is what I refer to as mundanity. Mm. And that Often even that word has evolved to mean like boring, Mm. but the etymology of it is of the earth. Mm. And that so much of our sense of spirituality or significance or importance is often up and out, like of the mind, of the spirit, of the beyond. Yeah. And yet I believe there is so much available to us and so much depth and possibility available to us within the container of ourselves and our body in this planet. And that, yes, it can be challenging being in a body and being a person. And yet I believe that feeling is healing. Mm. And that we all deserve better, more supportive containers to explore that and to be able to do it in a way that doesn't hurt us while we do that or hurt us more. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting seeing culturally how we're always seeking the beyond when as we were just speaking about before, Mm -hmm. it's all right here. Yeah, I really believe that. But it's true, like so much new age spirituality is like, go up there, Elon Musk wants to colonize Mars. Like it's like literally, it's spiritually, it's, yeah, it's like leave, go up and less of like, be here, go go down, rooting. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my somatic practices I do every day is what I refer to as my wellspring. Mm. And that wellspring is not mine, but it's my point of access to something that I believe is there, like the hum of existence. Mm. 
and to remember that when we can connect down, we can draw up so much more than what is within ourselves in that moment. Mm. And that that connection to earth and connection to elements can allow us so much possibility and to remember that it's not just us in this world struggling and pushing through, that there's so much here to support us. So I loved when you said they're going down because that is a lot of my somatic practices that I do every day. I love that. Yeah. I think as we're talking about this, like going down and also, yeah, just embodiment and being present, I'm wondering, maybe we can talk a bit about embodiment and pleasure when there are other things here, like when there's trauma, when there's chronic pain, when there's like discomfort. And yeah, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that to share with folks. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. I talk about um, disembodiment and all the reasons for disembodiment. And often it can feel like, oh, we should always be embodied and always be connected, (laughs) which is completely unrealistic, of course. And there are some barriers, some pretty major barriers to feeling connected and embodied. And some of them are really useful. Uh, Being disembodied can be incredibly useful to us at many points, like having more choice of how we want to be, whether that's disembodied in in our thoughts and just focused in on a mission, or whether that's, as you're saying, like with your dreamscape, that's like a form of derealization or dissociation and how beautiful and rich that place can be, for example. And then there are, of course, very major barriers that remove our choices to be more embodied, like stress, trauma, chronic pain. And they're the major three that I speak about in my book because they're the major three that I see time and time again. And of course, there are so many other reasons to that. But When you talk about trauma, one way of explaining trauma is chronic disconnection. And stress, I think, is a a form of that, is a disconnection from self. And chronic pain, often people deal with that by disconnecting from the body in particular because it's easier to manage. And something that... I share with people because I do a lot of coaching with people who experience all three of these things is that pleasure and embodiment is in its essence about connection Mm. and what I qualify as nourishing connection. And that often when we're in these states of stress or trauma or chronic pain, we can get into very binary thinking of thinking that it's all or nothing. It's either stress, trauma, and pain or pleasure. And that we can forget our name. We can forget who we are. We can forget what we like. We can forget what pleasure even brings us and why we want it when we're in these states, because we can feel so disconnected. 
and that pleasure and embodiment can feel so distant in those moments and those experiences. And what I guide people into remembering is that you can experience pleasure in small doses, really small doses, everyday moments that remind you, oh, I can be present with one body part. If I experience chronic pain, where is the point in my body that I can access and feel a sense of ease most easily or comfort or even pleasure? And to remember that it's not that zero sum of all or nothing, either I'm in pain or I'm in pleasure. And being that drip of water that wears away or reshapes that stone is a beautiful analogy of remembering bit by bit. And in somatics, there's the idea of titration, which is a medical term originally and basically just means small doses. And the more that we can remember to bring pleasure and connection and embodiment into the small moments in our life, our day, our body, we can remember we deserve pleasure. We can remember what it feels like so it's easier or a more clear pathway back to pleasure each time after that. And we can remember what it feels like to be more embodied and have a nourishing connection with ourselves. And that the more that we practice that, and I know that practice has a, is a loaded term for people where it can feel quite puritanical or strict. And I mean it more in doing something because of a deep why. So if we can know our deep why of why we want to practice pleasure, then we can build a foundation for ourselves that when we have those moments of stress or trauma or chronic pain, we can fall back on that foundation we've created for ourselves of those pleasure practices and embodiment practices. And they can support us in those harder moments when we feel less resourced and have less capacity. And that we all deserve to build that and that pleasure is not just about ease and soothing. It's about building capacity to be able to hold more aliveness and more connection in ourselves and our lives. Yeah, like pleasure is not just for trauma-free, able-bodied, happy people. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, pleasure is for all of us in all of our states. I really appreciate that you speaking to that like it's not an all or nothing or a binary of like it's this or it's this it's pain or it's pleasure it's good or it's bad um I feel like unlearning binary thinking is something that's so important for all of us for a lot of reasons and for me that connects specifically to my religious background where like that was so indoctrinated and taught so that's been such a powerful um unlearning and stepping away from for me so yeah I just appreciate you sharing that um it can be both and it can be everything in between it can be happening mm -hmm. all at once or mm -hmm. different experiences coexisting in the body mm -hmm. yeah that's why I took the full title of my body is slow pleasure explore your pleasure spectrum mm -hmm. and that word or the, and the pleasure dial that I speak about in the book it's 
the intention behind that is very much about moving away from binary thinking and moving more towards seeing how many options and choices we have for how we want to be in ourselves and in the world in every single moment. So I appreciate that that resonated. It sounds like we have a, a similar philosophy to that, even if we have very different socialization around it, because I do not have a, a religious background in the way that you do. Yeah. And I love that for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know you do that work though, because I will absolutely refer to you mm. because I have people who come to me with that experience. And I say to them, I can support you. Of course, we don't have to have the same experience for me to be able to support you through the shame or the socialization that you may have from that. But sometimes it can be really beautiful to be in a group space like the ones you facilitate to be able to unlearn that together. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I think I think we're all existing under some level of like Christian purity culture, just living in the U.S. And then there's also for those of us who like grew up immersed in that, in our families, in our homes, in church, there's like a whole different layer of unlearning and healing around that. But yeah, we're also all experiencing purity culture just by living here because it's Mm. so much part of this country. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah when I first moved here it required a whole education for me to understand I didn't even know about the purity movement and the puritanical roots of the establishment of the colonial overtaking of this land and it's a lot it's a lot yeah and I feel like, I mean, a lot of the things that we're working with around pleasure, like, are these colonial ideas that we're trying to, like, move away from of this, like, separation between mind and body of, like, going up being more important and better than, like, being here and going in and body as, like, something to be ashamed of. There's, like, all these things to, to pull apart to be able to, to be here with that pleasure spectrum, like you said. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And how beautiful to remember that we're all in it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we really are. Do you want to share more about the the pleasure dial that you've been been mentioning that you talk about in your book? I feel curious to, to hear more about it if you want to share. Mm. Yeah, of course. It's There's not much to it, really. It's just um, in, I think, that that pace of society and that crisis of pace and disconnection I speak about, we can often, and with that colonial thinking, um, it can become very much about the binary language and categorization and a like quick reading, a very sort of business approach to existence and life and self, which is just not possible really, because we are fluid and ever emerging and shifting 
and complex and beautiful in all of that range. And that when it comes to pleasure, I witness in society that we have that extreme thinking as well, where either we are completely desexualized and disconnected from our bodies and our pleasure, or we're expected to flick some switch on and then suddenly be raring to go and having what what we refer to as libido or sex drive. And I think that term sex drive is so indicative of that, like pace and expectation. Mm-hmm. And just being able to immediately orgasm and go from off to on in, in oh, zero to 60 in no time at all. And it's just so unrealistic. And what I offer in the book is that idea that when we slow, we can allow ourselves space for more nuance and more complexity and more range to realize that we do always have more choices than we have been told or that we have been socialized to believe. And I think that's the case in every sense and every topic and that with pleasure, it's it's about how to bring pleasure into everyday moments and how to remember those choices and to align ourselves with the ones that feel good for us in our needs and wants and desires and fantasies and to also imagine new ways of being as well to keep expanding that dial. And I talk about in the book that when we save a pleasure, I believe that that spectrum turns into an infinite spiral where Mm. it builds on itself over and over again and it creates that foundation that we're speaking about that supports us to keep being able to build and create more depth in Mm. our pleasure and pleasure experiences and self and connection to self. So... I wish that for everyone. Yeah. Even just the idea of savoring feels like such a spell to me, just (laughs) being in the energy of like, yeah, something that you want to savor just feels like, yeah, such a spell for being in connection with self and pleasure and being in your body and just like a, a more please moment. Um, mm. And that feels, mm. that feels really yummy. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I have a lot of rituals around savoring, mm. pausing to remember, to savor, mm. to like build in that support. One of my favorite practices is that every night at dinner whether I'm at home with my nesting partner or if I'm what whatever dinner setting I ask the table what is a moment that you save it in your day Mm. and it's such a beautiful opportunity to hear what has shaped someone in that day and to also be able to relive and savor the savoring. That there's something about that that feels like um, how 
I grew up like praying before a meal with my family. And there's like this, um, this moment that I think is actually so beautiful of like a pause and like a gratitude before eating and being grateful for the connection. Um, but that's like not aligned with my belief system now and I don't pray, but it feels like a little something missing um, of that actual like pause moment. Um, so that feels really lovely and like such a, such a nice question to be in connection around. Mm. Yeah. It's amazing how much conversation it opens up to. Mm, yeah. I'm going to try that out. <laughs> I think let me know that. how it goes. I'll let you know. <laughs> As we're talking about your book, I think I'm curious if there's anything that the the writing process itself taught you about, like, about creativity and pleasure and the body, or if there's anything there that you want to share that you've learned? Mm, that's such a beautiful question. With creativity, it was being a owning my own business and being all the things in my business means that I'm, of course, can be spread across a lot of things every day. And that when I was writing, I blocked out a lot of time to do just that. Mm. And it felt at times challenging. And at times the greatest gift mm. to be able to dive so deeply into what I have been teaching and holding space for and coaching people in for much longer. And it felt so beautiful to have the space to distill my own practices and to have that, to be able to put the ineffable into words as I think so much of this book is about trying to put into words something that is nearly impossible to put into words. And creatively, that was so fulfilling and so rewarding and felt like such a refuge and gift to be able to dive so deeply into that. And have that space away from the world while I did it. I really just disappeared. I didn't do any courses. I didn't do any facilitating. I wasn't online. I just still really allowed myself that space to disappear. And it was really nice. <laughs> and I'm so excited to be back and out and sharing and seeing the cycles of my creativity and myself and my expression. Um, so that was a beautiful creative insight in that process. And then in terms of the body and pleasure, I read back over my book and the practices or the snippets in each section. I'm like, wow, did I write that? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, wow, that is and as I talk about 
somatics and embodiment and pleasure, they're only ever practiced, they're never mastered. Mm. And so every page I wrote was for all the people who I deserve, I believe deserve to access and understand and feel these experiences and also for myself. Yeah. Because as we spoke about with savoring, it's a forever practice that that only reveals more depth, more nuance, more richness every time you do it and repeat it. So I think I every page had a, has has a newness and reveals more to me every word, every moment, every practice I included. And that I could have written that book forever <laughs> because of because of that. <laughs> but I wanted to draw a, a line in the sand t- to be able to to share it, and also because my publisher was like, "Oi." <laughs> mm. yeah, that's a really beautiful question. Thank you for asking me that. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I um I feel that so much about just needing to draw the line and be like, okay, I could write this forever. I felt that with my poetry collection that I just released. And I'm like, it was so hard to know when it was done because it's never complete, you know, but then it's Mm -hmm. something I'm like, I do want to share this and finish it. And there will be other projects and things to express. And that's just kind of like, deciding okay this is enough and it's never finished but this is what we're going to work with and we're going to put out there for now I mentioned that's even more the case with poetry as well because <laughs> you're like oh but but oh my gosh the detail <laughs> but what about this one <laughs> finesse 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 uh-huh. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I want to ask you the last question that I always ask on this show, which is just because the name of the podcast is Living Open. What does Living Open mean to you? What comes up when you hear that? Hmm. So many things. It's a <laughs> beautiful name because it emotes so much for so many people, I imagine. Mm. But Today, right now, it feels like it reminds me of the flower that I am. I'm rooted, but I'm opening and blossoming and always allowing that openness with the groundedness. And my non-monogamous relationships and identity open very much has connotations with non-monogamy and also possibility i live on tongva land also known as los angeles and i have i've built myself a pleasure perch which is the name that i've given (laughs) basically a shed that i built in the garden and it looks out to the mountains and the open sky and that's what I look at over my computer or my desk each day 
and this landscape and this place feels very full of possibility and creativity Mm. and that openness I think allows that creativity and that possibility and that magic to to be so present so in short my body my relationships and my relationship to land (laughs) which is exactly what I talk about in my work so it's funny that I spoke it in that order (laughs) it's perfect and I love getting to see a little piece of your pleasure perch (laughs) can you tell people where they can find you online and how they can get a copy of your beautiful book Mm, yeah absolutely everything's on my website my name can be complicated for people to spell so my first name euphemia which is spelled e-u-p-h-e-m-i-a and then my surname which is russell which is r-u-s-s-e-l-l dot com and there is the place to buy the book in many, many countries. Um, and then also access to my courses, my coaching, my video courses. Uh, and it's also the, the same name for social media. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing and for being here. And I guess I um, I don't usually ask this, but is there anything else that you want to leave folks with around anything that we've talked about or that we didn't talk about before we go? <laughs> mm. No, that felt really perfect. I feel like our dynamic and our presence with each other allowed us to go where was ripe to go in each moment and that I appreciate you and Mm -hmm. it's been a really beautiful conversation so that's all I have to add Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much. And it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.